This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 17 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is our J.J. Uh, Abrams recap, where we look at all of the movies which J.J. Abrams produced for other filmmakers. Yes. Yes. So we've, we've watched all these movies, we've done episodes on each of them, and now we're going to uh, take a look at all of them on the whole and see what conclusions we can draw. And also, um, we were talking on the Babel Conference about this episode here, and we were talking and somehow uh, we were <laughs> sort of debating what the worst movie out of this set is <laughs> not to say that they're bad all of them you know oh no there there are some great movies in this set but there are a few which maybe are troublesome yes so you said that the well i, I won't say what you said was the worst movie in the bracket but you said <laughs> in the bracket and i'm like cool so let's do this tournament you know let's do okay. a tournament and uh now of course you know the way that 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 uh ideas work <laughs> on the internet <laughs> You know, you you come up with something stupid because of some joke that someone said and someone else said, and then all of a sudden you're doing a uh, tournament of movies which J.J. Abrams produced to determine which one is the crappiest. (laughs) You know, somebody has to do it. That's the thing is we're filling a need, Mike. Yes, yes, this is true. This is true. So we will end with that after discussing all of these. And uh, yeah, see what happens. Okay. Um so let's get started. First movie that J.J. Abrams produced for someone else was uh, The Pallbearer, which uh, was directed by um, someone who would uh, come into play later on in, well, I guess, yeah, later on in J.J. In, uh, Abrams' career, and, and that's um, Matt Reeves, who we will, we will touch base with later on. It was written by Reeves along with Jason Kadams, the creator of the television show's Friday Night Lights and Parenthood and Roswell and About a Boy and uh, stars David Schwimmer and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, this is a movie about a guy who is a pallbearer. Yes. Yeah. At a funeral for a, a guy who he apparently went to high school with but no one remembers. Yes. And he, under false pretenses, begins an affair with the guy's mom and things end yes. badly. Because he's also in love with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. America's sweetheart. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it, and she was back in 1996. So Yeah, no, actually she was. Yeah, her star was on the rise. For sure, for sure. Um, oh, by the way, this movie's on Netflix now, so... Oh, boy. <laughs> Just in time. Yeah, so if anyone wants to watch it... Uh, <laughs> Go go head on over to Netflix. If you watch Netflix enough and you amortize the costs, it's essentially free. This is true. But here's the thing which I've learned. As someone who for over a decade now has been paid to watch movies, mm-hmm. it's not about the monetary cost of the movie. It's about the cost in time. That's true. 
You because know? that is something you can never earn back. You're absolutely right. Yes, this is true. This is definitely yeah. true. Something That is an absolute truth, something which I've learned over the years. As someone who can basically see every new movie for free as many times as he wants, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at <laughs> it's all. It's all about time. It's all about time. So uh, how did you feel uh, Paul Bearer was as far as uh, the cost of, of your time? I felt that I did not get a good return on investment with this movie. Uh, there, you know, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not, I wouldn't set fire to prints of it. Uh, there are some parts of it that are are cute, that uh, that work all right, but they're few and far between. Um, there are many more very awkward moments, and the movie never knows quite what to do with itself or where it wants to go, and so it's. It's interesting because, in a sense, it's a snapshot of, like, in the 1990s, it was these sorts of movies were very popular with, you know, the, the lovelorn guy and the hip friends and the cool soundtrack and all of that sort of stuff and coming of age. But this movie just seems stuck in, you know, it it's having its own identity crisis through the whole thing. And, you know, God bless him. I, you know, I think you can tell that Matt Reeves is very early on in his career with this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is definitely true. Um, you know, I uh, think that it was not a very good movie. There there were some things which were, were interesting about it, uh, you know, more from a historical perspective than anything. You know, seeing, like, kind of a snapshot of this, this point in history I think was interesting, but... Um, as far as it being a quality movie, uh, this fails. It fails at being a quality movie. Um, but no, no, but (laughs) it's just not a good movie. Well, I mean, you know, you could, (laughs) well, any, but that you put into it is going to be, but yeah, actually these parts were worse than I remembered because now that I'm like sort of mentally revisiting it, like I just, the, the. I, I hinge now because I've seen him in so many other things, but Michael Rappaport really still gets on my nerves from this movie. All right. Well, should we move on to his next movie? Uh, Let's do it. Which he produced, yes. and that was uh, The Suburbans, which was released in 1999, directed by Donald Lardner Ward, written mm-hmm. by Ward and Tony Guma, who both star in the movie, along with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Will Ferrell of... Zoolander 2 fame. Hey, by the yeah, way, Zoolander hey, 2, where he news. plays Mugatu. Didn't that movie already come out and go away? It came out. It hasn't quite gone away yet. Probably okay. by the time this recording is released. Um, by the way, shot yes. by Dan Mindel, uh, the really? uh, cinematographer of no Star kidding. Trek 09 and Into Darkness and The Force Awakens. And The Force Awakens. Shot in anamorphic 35 millimeter. So there you go. Looks very wow. pretty. It looks I very believe pretty. It. Yes. <laughs> just turn the sound off, right? Uh, yeah, although one one other weird little Star Trek connection there, just because, you know, he's obviously a huge fan, that Ben Stiller, who is in the Suburbans, by the way. Um, yes. It uh, has a character played by Kristen Wiig, and her name is uh, Ataz. <laughs> nice. Yes, yes. <laughs> so. Oh, that seems like probably the only good thing to come out of that movie. Pretty much. There were a few funny jokes, but for the most part, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Some things don't deserve sequels, but The Suburbans. Do you think The Suburbans deserved a sequel? 
No. I feel I'll spoil the bracket if I go on too much about the Suburbans. So, spoiler warning. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I have enough words to describe how much I disliked watching this movie. And uh, to speak to the uh, return on investment of time, I, I felt cheated. It wasn't that I didn't feel that I got my money. I, this is the Ponzi scheme of time investments for movies. <laughs> and how did you feel? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I didn't like it, but at the same time, I don't think it was epically bad. I mean, I would say it's better than Zoolander 2, you know? That, now see, you have just guaranteed I will never watch <laughs> Zoolander 2. Seriously, if anybody out there has seen The Suburbans and you say, eh, it was, I don't like it as much as The Suburbans, you've basically guaranteed, okay, thank you for saving my time. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's is it bad? Yes. Is it meandering? Does it have trouble with its tone and trouble with its, you know, thesis? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, is it a snapshot of the time? Yeah, which is cool. I like that uh, time. You know, mm-hmm. does it have Jennifer Love Hewitt in it? Yes, it does. You know, another plus, by the way. You know, I, it, it's it's one of those movies which is about the creation of something, you know, the creation of, of an artistic whatever. And I kind of felt that come through in the filmmaking, you know, the idea that these people were making a movie and they were happy about it. And, um, yeah. Is it good? No. Is it terrible? No. Yes. It's a bad movie. It's It's a two star movie, you know? No. Oh, no. (laughs) No. There are certainly worse movies than The Suburbans. Festival in Cannes, yes, but no. the, the Suburbans is in the conversation down there with it. Spoiler for the bracket later. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next movie, uh, which came out in 2001, and that is uh, Joyride, which was directed by John Dahl, which J.J. Abrams wrote himself, the first bad robot movie. And uh, this is a movie about um, a guy played by Paul Walker who mm-hmm. decides to drive because, you know, that's what he does, right? In yeah. All his movies. <laughs> Put him in a car. Yeah. We will be dealing with that uh, in the, ne- in the few, next few weeks. Oh, that's so. right. We will. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, is going across country um, back home from college and he's picking up the uh girl who he had a crush on in high school in an attempt to woo her on the drive. And also, by the way, he needs to pick up his uh, delinquent brother, Steve Zahn, who is in trouble with the law again. And in the process, they decide to prank a guy over a CB radio, a truck driver, and um, hijinks ensue and and (laughs) murders and uh, all the rest of it. That is correct. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on Joyride? Now, see, what, what, you're, what you were saying about the Suburbans, I would apply to this. It's not, it's not a particularly excellent movie. Uh, you know, it's very, it's very much just the telling of an urban legend um, and just tapping into that vein. You know, be careful of the trucker on the highway, and he wasn't going to give up, and, you know, he, he's everywhere, and he's always watching you. And the omnipotent bad guy, or at least omniscient, and it, but it's fun, you know. And it, it is a snapshot because, you know, I, I think we t- when we talked about this the first time, like CB radio, 
that's a completely foreign concept to a lot of people now. But like, I mean, I was on the tail end. I remember, you know, we're going to get a big old convoy, you know, and you get your CB radio and breaker one nine. What's, you know, <laughs> what's going on out there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's fun because of that. Like it's, it, it's an exercise in entertainment. And I enjoyed it. All right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I actually saw this movie when it came out and, um, I was looking forward to it quite a bit because I am a big John Dahl fan. He, so he's he's you know established and everything. And I'm like, oh great, he's making this movie, that, another movie. I don't care what it is, and I'm excited. And it let me down. You know, it felt very formulaic mm. in that sort of horror movie, that slasher movie kind of way. And um, I, I just didn't. It it didn't work for me. I have to say. I guess I I guess I'm kind of forgiving. I I like a good horror movie um i also like decent horror movies like if you play by the rules of the horror movie and you're not trying to be like a genre buster and you achieve the goal of entertaining me and giving me a bit of suspense and thrills you know i i tend to be pretty forgiving i guess in, in my judgment of them so that's fair you know it just didn't yeah. didn't do that for me you know what can you do all right. Well, now we are into the Bad Robot era, and the next Bad Robot film, the first film which was promoted as being from producer J.J. Abrams, was released in 2008, and that was Cloverfield. Matt Reeves returns, and this time he makes a giant monster movie with handheld cameras. Yes, and yeah, uh, that's pretty much all there is to it. Well, what did you think about Cloverfield? Fun. It's it, it's uh, it's exactly what it sets out to be, which is a, a fast-paced horror movie where people make questionably intelligent or unintelligent decisions about how they're going to get out of the city or what they're going to do. Um, you know, for somebody that might be trapped in the city. Uh, but you know, I. Like, it's it's good it's it's worth seeing you know it's enjoyable and the real innovation is that it it took um that sort of Blair Witch conceit of the first person camera and blew it up and I think did it more effectively it 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 basically took something where it was like hey this is a cool idea and then it made it awesome by comparison and uh you know I, I think it's definitely worth if you haven't seen it it's definitely worth seeing if you have seen it seen it I think it's worth revisiting yeah, I agree. You know, I, I really did love this movie when it came out, and I still uh, like it a whole bunch now. I, I really do think that as far as found footage movies are concerned, this one sort of nails it because it, it gets the format perfectly right and also has sort of the novelty of being a big-budget movie with this low-budget aesthetic, and I think yeah. that that's really effective and cool and uh, awesome. So, yeah, this is definitely high up there for me you know I, I think that it's one of the best productions by jj abrams for sure so next up uh three years later was morning glory which is kind of an oddball choice considering that it is a bad robot production it was directed by roger mitchell written by aileen brosh mckenna and starring rachel mcadams and harrison ford and it's about a uh, producer for a morning news talk show who needs to try to lure a big shot news 
guy to come and do this crappy morning news show in order to boost the ratings and save everyone's jobs and all that stuff. Yes. So what did you think about Morning Glory? Uh, good. You know, um, it, it struggles a bit, I think, with um, uh, the ending. Um, is definitely doesn't feel quite true, and it feel th- there are a couple of parts that feel sort of shoehorned in. Um, but uh, y- you know, there are enough good points. Like Harrison Ford is really good. Um, Diane Keaton's actually really good too. Um, and you know, it has the benefit of uh, not going down the the cliched road of having Harrison Ford, the grizzled old guy, fall in love with the uh, attractive young woman who is his boss, so you don't have, like, that uh, tired May-December thing going on, and it has uh, just enough Jeff Goldblum to be charming. Yep, for sure, for sure. And this is probably the biggest surprise for me out of all of these. You know, I I mean, I I made a point of seeing this movie because it was a bad robot production, but at the same time, I definitely had my doubts going into it, and what I found was a very good movie. And it, I think it, it, it works uh, well at, at what it's trying to do. I think Rachel McAdams is, is really, really good in it. And, yeah, I agree with you that the ending is a little, eh, you know, whatever. But on the whole, I, I think it's extremely solid. So, yeah, yeah, definitely up there. Okay, now we are into the Mission Impossible era. After directing Mission Impossible 3 and everyone being very happy with that, uh, Tom Cruise and company decided to keep Bad Robot on board, even if uh, J.J. wasn't going to be directing the movies himself. So they got Brad Bird to make Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in 2011. And uh, yeah, this is the one in which uh, the team is disavowed. (laughs) But not... The one where the team is, uh, you know, uh, off the record or doing a a covert assignment. It's they're actually disavowed in this one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can't keep it all straight. (laughs) Right. Um, But yes. Uh, what What did you think about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? Thrilling, fun, liked it more the second time. Uh, did see it in the movie theater uh, in IMAX, and the the Burj Khalifa hotel sequence is just as good as you would imagine in that format. But I think that uh, the ending played is better, actually, on um, non-IMAX screen. At least it did for me because the the close up fighting. But the you know the the villain is somewhat bland, um, and. The ending is, uh, you know, it's while it's better on the smaller screen, from my point of view, uh, the movie is just a bunch of fantastic uh, action set pieces, and then the ending is just kind of like, and yeah, okay, it's over. Um, so, but you know, that's not to like trash it. Like you, you're not like I sound much more. Uh, Matt about the end like the the movie as a whole is really great and I the very the very end of it the way they end it with the you know the wrap-up conversation with everybody you know sort of doing that sum all conversation at the end is great it's the final fight that sort of pales in comparison to the giant hotel sequence from the middle like it never gets as exciting as the hotel sequence when he's going around with the gloves 
and the wire on the tallest building in the world. Like, it, and I think if the movie suffers from anything, it's from that. Like, it can never match that peak again, uh, you know, for the rest of it. Yeah, I agree that the movie is awesome. Um, I think that is probably my second favorite Mission Impossible movie. And I really sort of love the scope of the movie. I love that Brad Bird really opened things up and made it not just like a expensive blockbuster, but something which is grand in scale. It's like the Lawrence yeah. Arabia of Mission Impossible movies. Um, so... <laughs> And there's going to be the title for this week. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and I and I really do kind of like love that uh, that that quality uh, to it. And yeah, I think it's a great movie for sure. It is. Yeah. yeah, definitely worth seeing. Yes. And then just last year, 2015, he produced the next Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. This time for Christopher McQuarrie. And this is the one where the team is disavowed. Oh, that's right. This is the one where that happens. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, what did you think about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation? Can't rave about it enough. Best Mission Impossible movie that they've released to this point. Um, absolutely brilliantly executed um, action sequences, paced perfectly. Uh, I Like, I felt that the... Uh, like there isn't anything I would beat up on this movie for. And I actually thought that the villain was interesting and that Ethan Hunt uh, uses his brain at the end to beat him, along with the team. But So the team actually outsmarts the guy as opposed to, you know, the way Ghost Protocol ended with it, which is just with a, you know, a royal smackdown. So, I like, I can't praise this movie enough. Like, I, And I, I said this when we talked about it the first time, and I'll say it again. Uh, it's rare nowadays that I see a movie at home and I the whole time sit there regretting not seeing it in the theater and not going to the IMAX theater to see this one. Like, I will not make that mistake again. Um, I'm in line for Mission Impossible 6 already. Okay, going to IMAX for this one... Really, not that big of a deal. Really? No, they didn't. The plane sequence at the beginning. They didn't shoot it in IMAX or any of that stuff. No. Oh, this is much more grounded, and you know, I mean, that's that's like one of the things, but which I'm fine with. You know, like uh, like one of the things that you know we were talking about last week in regards to this movie is like it's much more down and dirty. You know, yeah, people rolling around in the dirt, just like wrestling and stuff. You know, he's like (laughs) wrestling Mission Impossible (laughs) and everything. There is a lot more touching, yes. You know, I mean, it's it's like it's like gritty, grainy. You know, yes, and yeah, because of that, yeah, no, it's it, they didn't shoot it in IMAX or, or oh, anything. see, because the thing is, I know that it played at the IMAX theater that I oh, like yeah. to go to, but it must just have been like when I went to see Inception, and was like, oh, they didn't shoot with IMAX, okay, and it's just they just show a seventy millimeter print. Or Although with right? Inception, yeah, even though they didn't shoot with IMAX, there were sequences which were shot in seventy millimeter. So with Inception, ah, okay. there is a benefit. With uh, with this, not so much. You know, this is okay. The IMAX DMR, you know, which stands for uh, bullshit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where they, uh, to me, I think. I mean, they've gotten a lot better. By that, I mean they don't do it as much anymore but they basically like 
image enhance it. And, you know, oh. they like sharpen it, you know, with uh, like edge and I don't like that at all. And it's like, God, guys, just lay off. Just tone, I don't know. That's, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. It used to be really bad, you know, but now they've toned it down. But like, you know, I'll let you in on a little secret, okay? Yeah. Which isn't really much of a secret, but, you know, the projectors which they use in your average IMAX theater are the exact same projectors which are used in every other theater. They just use two of them instead of one, which is like, fine, that's great, you know, fantastic, you know, certainly better than whatever, but is it like some sort of special magical voodoo that they, you know, slap on this movie to make it IMAX? No, it's not. It used to be. Now it's not. Unless, you know, we got a place like like your place. You've got... Yes. You're lucky. You've got one which has... 70 millimeter and then you've got another one which is laser so yeah, you know the 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 laser projection is i can tell you it's quite a nice experience yes the, the, the image quality is pretty fantastic i don't get i just wish i hadn't had to see it in 3d <laughs> yeah i know right i don't get any of that here it's just chicago you know it's only the third largest city in the country uh, yeah, we don't get any of that. I'm hoping Batman. But are you Superman. near an airport? Oh wait, you are. Never mind. Sorry, because our our theater is actually at the airport. Nice, nice. Yeah. So you could fly in. It's a short flight. You could fly in and literally just like drive out of the parking lot for the for the uh, for the airport, and then just like basically make a U-turn, and you'd be at the museum where it is. So you come on, fly on out here. Well, I m- I might have to do that because. You know, like for Star Wars, I drove down to Indianapolis, you know, to meet up with Drew to go see that. Yeah. But they took all that money that they made off of showing Star Wars in 70 millimeter at that museum, and they used it to invest in the crappy digital projectors which every theater in the country has. So I'm wondering. I don't know. I'm very curious to see what they do with Batman versus Superman. It's going to be... It's going to be interesting, but I'm... <laughs> what can you do? I don't know. So, yes. But Rogue Nation, I did like it too, a lot. Not nearly as much as you. I definitely liked it a lot more on second viewing. Is it my favorite Mission Impossible movie? No. Is it my favorite Mission Impossible movie that J.J. Abrams produced? No. But I do think that it is really solid, and, and I imagine that on repeated viewings, I will come to appreciate it even more. So Excellent. Yes. Okay. So let's take a look at the bracket. Okay. Okay. Now, in order to to put together this bracket, what I did was I um, I used the the user ratings on the IMDb. I figured that's the easiest thing to do, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So keep in mind that we're going. We're trying to determine what the worst movie that J.J. Abrams produced for someone else is. Okay. There's seven of them. So yep. here they are in order in the power rankings. Um, number one, with a 4.3 user rating on IMDb, is The Suburbans. Number two, The Pallbearer. Number three, oh, that, I'm sorry, The Pallbearer has a 4.9. Number three, with a 6.5, is Morning Glory. Number four, with a 6.6, is Joyride. Number five, with a 7.1, is Cloverfield. Number six, with a 7.4, is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And number seven, with a 7.5, is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Okay. Okay. So now, the Suburbans, since they're the highest seed, they get the buy in the first round. 
Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So in our first matchup, we have the pallbearer versus Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So in your estimation, who wins at being the crappiest? At being the crappiest? Yes. Pallbearer. Pallbearer. I would agree with competition. that. competition. Okay, Paul I would agree with that. So that we're, we're in agreement. The pallbearer moves on. Now, I think okay. if we're not in agreement on any of these, I think yeah. what we're going to have to do is secretly put our own ratings for the two and okay. then do an average and see which one because you know you okay. may hate a movie way more than I do or something like that and <laughs> that's then it's entirely you know, possible <laughs> that's yeah, the only okay. way that we can determine right all right yeah no fair enough fair enough okay so the next matchup morning glory versus mission impossible ghost protocol Gotta give it ghost. Uh, well, I mean, I gotta give it to Morning Glory as not being as good as Ghost Protocol. So I guess that means Morning Glory advances. I agree. I agree. All right, Morning Glory advances. All right. So far, no upsets. This is no good. upsets yet. This is good. Okay. And the final final matchup of the first round: um, Joyride versus Cloverfield. Uh, which do you give it to? I Joyride's gotta advance. Um, it's heartbreaking. This is a ma- the type of matchup you never want to see in a tournament. Um, but only one team can truly win and advance, and it's got to be Joyride here. I agree. Joyride is definitely worse than Cloverfield. Okay, yeah. we're into the final four now, right? Oof, okay. already. Yes. Where does the time go? Okay. <laughs> We've got the Suburbans <laughs> yep. versus Joyride. It's a murder. <laughs> it's a mercy killing at halftime. Suburbans advances. Never seen a beatdown so severe. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. Suburban advances to the championship. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next up, the pallbearer yeah. versus morning glory. Uh, yeah, pallbearer advances. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. We know where this is going. I agree. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is the contentious one, isn't it? So here it is, the championship. Yes. What What is the crappiest movie that J.J. Abrams produced? Um, home field <laughs> advantage goes to the Suburbans. Oh, yes, it does. Against the, the pallbearer. Yes. And here is where I think the uh, point of contention lies. Which oh, movie do you consider to be the crappiest? The Suburbans, hands down. Okay. I, I think you can see that one coming from a mile away. This is the Suburbans. Okay, like I know we're talking the tournament and everything, but this is like a uh, pro wrestling Royal Rumble sort of tournament Mm -hmm. where the Suburbans just had somebody come out from the audience with a big, not just a chair, but a big table and just whack the pallbearer in the back of the head and just win. Done. Okay. I think that the Suburbans is the better movie. I would give it to the pallbearer. Okay. No. No, no, no. So since there's only two of us, I think we yeah. need to go to our tiebreaker. All right, so, tiebreaker. Secretly, write down on a piece of paper or whatever, mm-hmm. on a scale of one to ten. Yes. <laughs> what is your your rating? And we'll we'll just use it. We're ten being very good movie. Okay. Yeah. One being or zero being the worst movie ever. Yeah. Write down your rating for the Suburbans and for the Paul Bear, and I will do okay. the same. And then okay. we will add up the totals, and whoever has the lowest number wins. Okay, okay. I'm tearing a card in half here. Okay. All right. Uh, well, since um, 
the Suburbans is the home team. I guess the the pallbearer needs to go first in terms yes. of its rating. Okay. What do you give the pallbearer? On a scale of one to ten, it gets a four. Okay, four for pallbearer. On a scale of one to ten, I give it a three. Oh, close. Okay. All right. We're in the same we're in the same conversation here. So the pallbearer has a total of seven. Yeah. Here we are with the Suburbans. It all comes down to this. All down to this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to ten, what do you give the Suburbans? A two. I was generous. I felt I felt like embracing the uh, the the you know the whole mood of the network and not being overly negative. So it got a two. All right, I gave it a four. So it loses? No, it wins. Wait, it went. Yes, it wins. <laughs> Yay! The Suburbans is crowned the champion of crappy J.J. Abrams productions. I feel like we owe him a plaque or something. Do you <laughs> I think guess that so. he would accept it if we sent him one? Maybe. I mean, people show up for the Razzies, right? There you go. If anybody, if anybody has a way to contact J.J. Abrams, <laughs> just send him a copy of this show. And let him know that it's, we have ranked his uh, his production efforts for people that he's produced other other than him. The thing about this, right? Okay, which it, this happened to come up because of whatever, you know, yeah. some random conversation. But you look at this filmography, and it's pretty damn solid, you know? I mean, there oh, yes. are two movies on here which made it to my top ten for the year and mm-hmm. high up on it. And, you know... I don't even think The Suburbans is that tremendously bad of a movie. I do. Okay. Fine. But but but. At, the, but at the very least, and this, this speaks to something that we've come back to, is I think it, that looking at all of these movies in, this or, in order, has, you can actually see the growth of Abrams as a producer and even a um, – you can see when his influence grows uh, through these movies because you can – his name might be on those first two movies, but he's really facilitating. And then it's it's later that you start to see, uh, and I'll borrow from Adam, like now that we're in the bad robot era, there's always a very, uh, it, it's a well-done production. It's it's sleek, it's clean, it looks good. No matter what your overall opinion of the movie is, it's, it is a production, you know? And so I, I think you can see that, move you can see his growth as a producer through these movies yeah no that's definitely true and you know i think that on the whole he's a very good producer and he's um he's he's made a lot of very good movies for other people and um a couple duds but you can see those are like the first two movies in in his career you know i would say his Mm -hmm. next worst movie is the next movie that he did joyride but you know now he's firing on all cylinders and we've got you know, two, well, that we know of, <laughs> coming up this year right. in 10 Cloverfield Lane and Star Trek Beyond. And I cannot wait for either of them. By that, I mean I really want to see them right now. Yeah, actually, I would really like to see the new Star Trek right now. And I do. I, I'm very much looking forward to 10 Cloverfield Lane. That, yeah. I, I, I really am. It, mm-hmm. it, it looks... 
it looks like a J.J. Abrams type movie where it's like, ooh, cool. Yep, yep. There's all these interactive, like there's some game now that you can play on the yeah. internet where you can try to like survive in the shelter or whatever. And you mentioned you can get you can get the root beer that's yeah. in the preview. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I mean, it, it, he's he's definitely a solid producer. I mean, you know, we went into this with sort of, you know, a question more than, you know, a hypothesis or whatever. The question was, what does it mean? to be a J.J. Abrams production. And I think, you know, what these movies demonstrate is it means to be good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it means that, you know, it's going to be different. It's going to be its own thing. He's not going to get in the way of the filmmakers. He's going to let them right. do whatever they need to do. But he's also going to ensure that it's going to be of a high standard. Yep. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what comes next. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, it's been fun talking about J.J. Abrams this week, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Jordy is the one that's like, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong about Data. I'm going to drop a challenge right here, and Data's totally going to step up to the plate, and you're going to get served, Plasky. And that's how LaForge created Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I'm not saying it turned out good, but I mean, he had good intentions. The Orb. The Wadi, a fun-loving race from the Gamma Quadrant, arrive at DS9 eager to play a game with Cisco and the crew, one that appears to be a matter of life and death. All right, so are we moving along, Matthew? Oh, we're moving along. <laughs> Is there any redeeming value? The ready room. He's carrying in the lamb chop sock puppet <laughs> saying, she stayed at her post. <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! It feels like I just won an Oscar and an Emmy and a Tony all at the same time, and a People's Choice Award, and a Nickelodeon Award. Dang! So, yeah. So not quite an EGOT, but close. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. I haven't seen Mean Girls. You haven't seen Mean Girls? I oh know, everybody wants me to see oh Mean Girls. Oh my god, yeah, you have to see Mean Girls. I mean, after yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, though. How oh, correct with Josie and the Pussycats? The 602 Club. I actually like when they bring in the big container for the brain fish at the beginning. That's so weird. <laughs> that and was it, really it opens mysterious. up and it's, you know, speaking through the... And all the minions that have the, to mop uh, up after it at the end. Yes. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was pretty no. funny. All the, it's like a slug trail. Um, you can actually see one of the guys while he's talking, kind of wandering around, mopping up. I was like, yeah. what is that guy doing? Literary Treks. You're totally right that when Atonement was done, I really did feel like um, everybody needed a break. Like a Kit Kat bar? There wouldn't be challenges and obstacles and things, but I wanted the the next sort of series of adventures that they faced for a while to be more infused with the sense of wonder that sort of underpins all of Trek. Women at Warp. A.F., which are the initials that Picard carved into Boothby's tree back on Starfleet Academy, and that is how he met Boothby the groundskeeper. Well, we never did learn Boothby's first and second name, did we? <laughs> it was all a ploy to get to hang out with Boothby. Meta Trex. 
if I look at the Abrams verse now, having talked it out, it seems like they're both an alternate timeline and uh, and an alternate reality at the same time. Not every sense of alternate timeline, not every sense of alternate reality, but there's at least one sense in which they overlap, and you can say you can have your cake and eat it too, and, and the Abrams verse is both at the same time. Melodic tricks. I wanted something for the chorus, you know, a phrase uh, describing them, which is uh, amazing. And I wanted to use a different word for that, uh, for amazing. And in this case, I, I, I sought out the, the African Swahili word, uh, kushengeza, which is an actual word that means amazing. And introducing Saturday Morning Trek, a show about the animated series and all things Trek in the 1970s. Chekhov was in the first season, but he was working on the third deck behind the boiler room and was ill with a condition called Malaprovsky's malady, which is a kind of 23rd century version of Montezuma's revenge, and was hidden in the bathroom, ensconced there for hours and hours while poor Mr. Khan's genetically engineered kidneys about to explode, pounded pitifully on the door, begging to be let in until finally the door opens, Chekhov steps out, Khan looks at him and says, Your face, I remember. That's the best explanation I've ever heard. You get, you get the idea that I've told this story before. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file directly from uh, the website or grab the RSS link as well. And if you go to iTunes, please leave us a review, and we'll read it on the air. It'll be fun for We'll everyone. read it in silly voices if you want. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. If you want to help out the network, you can buy some of our stuff. Go to the Trek FM store on uh, trek.fm slash store. It's on Redbubble. You can get t-shirts, sweatshirts, one of which I'm wearing right now. I'm the Maroon Monsters. Maroon Monster uh, sweatshirt. And uh, yeah, you can get you know lots of other things. I know Aaron's got some new designs in the works. And uh, here's hoping for uh, Citizen Kane of Podcasts. Sure. Would love it. Me too. All right. Um, another way that you can help us out is by going to patreon.com slash trekfm and becoming a patron of the network. Um, this helps us keep all of our shows coming to you each week. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have you have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, seats on our patrons roundtable podcast, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. All right, if you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, just look on the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. On Twitter, you can find the network at trekfm. On Facebook, you can find the network at facebook.com slash trekfm. But if you want to be one of the cool kids... Head on over to the Babel Conference on Facebook. Uh, 
Yes, which is and, our, see, uh, and see the birth of uh, terrific ideas like the worst movie uh, <laughs> brackets that we just did. Exactly, yeah. And that's one of those where I find this happens a lot when we're uh, conversing on the Babel Conference. <laughs> I post something, and you... <laughs> make a comment, and then I respond to that comment, and then you respond to that comment, and then it becomes a conversation between the two of us. And I imagine <laughs> the other thousand members on the Babel Conference are like, why don't these guys just get a room? Don't they have a podcast? Why don't they just talk about this on their own? Why are they you know, cramming up my, uh, my Facebook feed? But you could go to the Babel Conference and tell us yep. that, or... Add to the conversation even better. Right. If you have a, if you have a different movie bracket that you'd like us to do, let us know. We will do it. Yes, we don't we care will. what it is. If you want to do, <laughs> you know, favorite Antonioni movies, we'll do that. There, I that were, those were words. Yes, I, I don't think I've seen any Antonioni movies, which I know is kind of terrible. I apologize for being a bad person, but we will do it. If 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 you want us to, yeah, sure. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we issue the challenge to you that if if you see a movie that we're we're talking about and you have a different take on it, share that with us. There you go. There you go. And just go to uh, Facebook and type the Babel Conference. That's B A B E L into uh, the search field on Facebook, and you'll find uh, the Babel Conference. And it's a closed group, but we will let you in, and everyone will have fun talking about star trek and the suburbans (laughs) so john where can people find you on the internet oh you can find me on twitter at kessel junkie uh you can find me on another podcast uh that i co-host with my buddy craig called words with nerds where we uh we plumb the depths of uh the nerd universe and uh, i am actually on a star wars focused podcast called aggressive negotiations which is part of the nerd party network and uh, we we explore the the more esoteric corners of the Star Wars galaxy. Nice, nice. Uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM, producing from there to here, uh, which is a podcast where every day we look at two episodes of Star Trek, and we're going to be covering all seven hundred twenty nine episodes over the span of the year. And uh, you can find all sorts of hosts on the network um, contributing to that show. Um, and then it's a can... great show. I just want to say, yeah, I, I know, I know that you're like, it really needs to be said that it is an invaluable tool here in the anniversary year. From there to here is a joy that I think a lot of people look forward to seeing in their feed. Uh, you know, in their in their podcast feed. Uh, every day it's it's a terrific thing it is kind of crazy just to see people like random people you know responding to it you know Mm -hmm. like people who i've never heard of before in my life i've never had any interaction with them before and they're like i've been watching star trek along with this show you know and it's like not even directed at like me it's just like hey this person yeah. is, I'm getting this person to watch Star Trek. That's pretty cool, you know? It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, we, I mean, it, 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 there's, even, there's even people who worked on Star Trek listening to this show, which is mind-blowing to me. But uh, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's, I'm, I'm very happy that everyone is involved and uh, having fun with it. It, it. it puts a smile on my face. So Cool. 
Yeah. It should. Yeah. Well, you can find me here doing that. Or you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com uh, doing Commentary Track Stars, which is a show which no one listens to uh, on, on the flip side of things. <laughs> and right now we are uh, just finishing up our, our X-Files rewatch, or not rewatch, our X-Files recap, where we've been uh, going through each episode of the new run and then doing live uh, live shows afterwards and and then putting them up in the feed you know like a week or so later uh so if you want to go check out you know see what we have to say about the x files uh go go over there and check it out all right you can also find me on twitter at mumbles 3k or you can find the show on twitter at comtrackstars or you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com okay uh, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, do you have a book for us today? Since we were just talking about uh, two movies, Cloverfield and Joyride, which are horror movies, uh, How to Survive a Horror Movie, All the Skills to Dodge the Kills, uh, written by Seth Graham Smith and narrated by Johnny Heller. Uh, Seth Graham Smith delivers the definitive, essential guide to making it through a horror movie in one piece. As hilarious as it is useful, if you're trapped in a scary flick, that is. How to Survive a Horror Movie covers all the bases. Trapped in a haunted house? Check. Stalked by an evil doll? Check. Wandering aimlessly through the remains of the old world as a plague of zombies sweeps over the planet? Check. Graham Smith's delightfully gruesome guide is just the thing for horror buffs and anyone who has ever watched a scary movie. You know, that Seth Graham Smith guy, he had a movie just come out last week or two weeks ago, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Well, there you go. I read that book through audible.com. Nice. I I did. I I listened to the audio book of audible.com, and it was interesting. It was an interesting exercise. I, I, I hope it's better than the movie. The movie was not very good. But, hey, you know, he's also writing the Lego Batman movie, so there you go. All is forgiven. Yes, for sure, for sure. And he's a Star Trek fan, by the way. Excellent. Yes. So you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right, that's 173 episodes down and nine to go. We're going into our very last arc, our very last <sighs> series, and... You know, we started this way back when, over three years ago, with the very first Star Trek creator, uh, the great bird of the galaxy, Gene Roddenberry. And back when we did that series, we always said that when we end this with episode 182, the very last series that we did would be about whoever was in charge of the franchise at the time that we left. And we didn't know who it would be at that time. But now we know who it is. And that person is Justin Lin, 
the director of Star Trek Beyond. We know that Brian Fuller is coming, but that's in the future. We're talking about the now. So next week we begin our final series, which will be on Justin Lin and his work as a director, looking at all of the films which he directed. And we're starting off with his debut film, Better Luck Tomorrow. Thank you.